Come, 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 
This is a Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. Today's episode is going to be a twofer. The first part of the episode is going to be my issues with the neo-traditionalist organization known as Church Millen. The second part of this um, episode is going to be my disagreement with a set of pervasionist theological position. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory, and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. So... Uh, for this episode, I am going to give the name of the set of a contest podcast that did this, that, that covered the, um, neo, uh, neo trad, uh, organization known as church militant. Now, to give you some context, um, Church Militant is an organization that is definitely neo-traditionalist because they recognize the Vatican II Council as being legitimate and all the popes coming from that as being legitimate. While at the same time, um, whenever anything heretical, sacrilegious, um, or uh, blasphemous happens, um, they 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 blame quote unquote corrupted bishops. Um, or liberal bishops, as the Vatican II sect always calls it, 
uh, for my issues with the terms liberal and conservative when dealing with Catholic theology, see the episode on this podcast of, um, of that name. The guy who runs it is Michael Voris. Now, to my new listeners, I'm going to explain. Uh, for the first, first 30 years of my life, I was a complete and utter hedonistic pagan with no interest in Christianity. I became a Protestant in 2001, uh, stayed a Protestant to, to, until 2004, and um, entered into the uh, Vatican II sect in 2005 until I realized in 2016 that the state of affairs that I was under could no longer be rectified. And I left and became set of a contest after three years of study. <clears throat> For more details, I would urge my new listeners to listen to my original podcast, St. Longinus' Baptism. So when I entered in to the Vatican II sect in 2005, um, there is a very cognitive dissident thing going on in the Vatican II sect where you have liberals who, you know, oh, they're Catholic, they're Catholic, but they're not good Catholics. And there are conservatives slash traditionalists. Now, anyone who understands Catholic theology and the pre-Vatican II Church knows that there, there is no liberal position. You're either orthodox or you're not. So the people that the Vatican II Church calls... um liberals, quote-unquote, are actually, well, they're both heretics from a set of contest point of view, but in the Vatican II sect, the liberals, uh, they're actually heretics. Anyhow, so in 2008, I became aware of a, um, what I call a uh, neo-trad organization called Church Militant. And at this time, I was completely and utterly unaware that Vatican II was a heretical council. I thought that this was just the state of the Catholic Church. And like, like uh, the neoconservative Glenn Beck who had his show on Fox around the same time, Michael Voris managed to pull the wool over my eyes. But in that regard, well, in both regards, I was ignorant. But him and Glenn Beck have a lot in common. Although I suspect that Glenn Beck, um, and this is just a theory, he, he actually knows that the cause he supports is... Um, is fake, but he's doing it because 
they're supporting his cause. They're, they're supporting his little, uh, I think he's got a little organization. As a matter of fact, I think he has a uh, studio here in Texas. Anyhow, um, but I was, I was using the church militant organization to learn more about traditional Catholicism. And um, there was a way, I'm sure it's probably still this way. There was a way back in, or he had, he, he has a website. And basically in order to get the educational content, you had to have a monthly subscription to his website. And as soon as I had the money, I subscribed. And the only time I unsubscribed, or the first time I unsubscribed, uh, was when I went unemployed for a couple of years, and I couldn't afford it. And the second time was for good, and I'm going to get to that issue. So, at this time... We have to remember Mr. Ratzinger was the quote-unquote pope of the Vatican II sect. And the, the people of the Vatican II sect who um, consider themselves traditionalists, or what I call the Neotrad set, were all, you know, they, they were gaga. And be, out of my ignorance, I, I thought that this was a good thing that, you know, um, as far as I was aware, uh, Pope John Paul was pretty um, orthodox in his teaching. And, you know, so was um, Mr. Ratzinger. And so I had no issues. But. It was a regular feature. Mr. Voris has a, a show called The Vortex. And it's his daily commentary of either the quote-unquote liberal corrupt bishops who, who are giving, uh, in his mind, traditional Vatican II Catholicism a bad name. Or he'll, this is what I really liked about him. He, he would actually go after the Protestants. Um, most of your neo-traditionalist uh, grifters for the Vatican II sect won't touch the Protestants with a 10-foot pole. And as a matter of fact, uh, will go harder after set of a contest than they will actual heretics, which are Protestants. Which is not surprising since the Vatican II sect is uh, Protestantism with a Catholic facade. Anyhow, so I had no issue with his organization, and I used the resources that he was providing to, to help educate myself. And I was doing reading and stuff, but... Um, I was not nearly as diligent as I should have been. Anyhow, so when Mr. Bergoglio was quote-unquote elected 
Pope of the Vatican II sect in 2013, um, there were certain neo-traditionalist organizations within the Vatican II sect that were saying the guy's problematic. <laughs> They're all problematic, but I won't get into that. Um, so I took a wait-and-see attitude. And because Mr. Bergoglio, you could say what you want about the man, his theology, his theology or, you know, you, you could say what you want about his theology. I'll give him this. For a heretic, he's very upfront with his heresy. Whereas Mr. Ratzinger, Mr. Watia, Mr. Montini, and um, Mr. Uh, Roncalli, uh, they played their, their heretical cards close to their vest. Um, but Mr. Bergoglio, he's very upfront with his heresies. He, he makes no bones about it, you know. And um, it wasn't until I came to the conclusion that what I thought was the Vatican II church was not um, that I came to the conclusion that um, and I've said this ad nauseum throughout both of my podcasts channels that Mr. Bergoglio is the logical conclusion of the Vatican II Council because if you read what the Council taught Everything that he's teaching is in line with the Vatican II Council documents. And once you come to that realization, then you begin, then you begin to understand, oh, wait a minute, this can't be the true Catholic Church then. Because everything that he does is, is taught by the Vatican II Council documents. And the reason why I call the, the neo-traditionalist apologizers, uh, apologist grifters is because they absolutely know, they have to know that Bergoglio is not teaching heresy. He's not. I mean, he is, but he's teaching the Vatican II council teachings, which are heresy. You know, they just want to pick and choose which heresy they're going to support. And I suspect with a certain segment within the neo-traditionalist apologists uh, set that they got mad. They weren't getting, they weren't, mad at what Bergoglio was teaching necessarily, they were mad because he's up front about it. He He's literally up front. And he, to people who take their Catholicism seriously, it forces a person to, okay, the gates of hell shall not prevail, but we got a heretical pope. The two... The two are in in irreconcilable. They're irreconcilable, and so, um, I think they're mad about that. 
Because how can you, especially if you consider yourself a traditionalist Catholic, how can you square what Vatican II is, te- uh, is teaching the council against the obvious contradictions of the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church? Now, for the sake of charity, I've always said, because quite frankly, I, I fell into this error, but for, in my defense, I was a convert and a very new Christian when I entered into the Vatican II Church. Um, I literally have an excuse. Some of these guys have been in the Vatican II Church for, for over... Over 15 years, at least, at least, some of these guys have been uh, Vatican II guys for 20 or 30 years. They have literally have no excuse for being ignorant about this subject. And as I said on my earlier broadcast, um, how can you be an apologist and claim ignorance? How? How could you be? I'll give this to the Protestants. I really will. Um, there, at least in some of the Protestant churches I've been in, they don't allow anybody who's ignorant of Protestantism to 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 uh, be apologists. If you're ignorant about Protestantism depending on the church, of course, they don't allow you to to be an apologist. You have to know your Protestantism in order to be an apologist in certain segments of the Protestant church. So, like I said, I'm I'm sure there's some neotreads out there. Well, they're, they're like you. They're a freelancer. Um, okay, well, this raises two interesting points. The first one is, if you're ignorant, how can you uh, give a defense of something you're ignorant of? Number two would be, um, if if you're not ignorant of the facts at hand and you're defending in the indefensible, which is a, a fake counterfeit Catholic church that is leading souls to hell. Um, <laughs> why are you doing it? Like I said, for the sake of charity, I do understand that cognitive dissonance is real. And for those of you who don't know what cognitive dissonance is, it's just basically um, it is just basically that you're denying the facts that are flat in your face. I mean, anyone who watches the 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 Easter Bunny handing out the 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 quote unquote Eucharist of the Vatican II sect, the um the clown masses, the praise and worship masses, 
and the you know the, the the young ladies in spandex running up and down the aisles of those churches and how 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 in your right mind you know and I'm I'm trying to be charitable here if you're defending that you obviously are denying reality if you're saying that oh yes this is the catholic church prior to the Vatican II council That is literally cognitive dissonance. And that is as much charity as I'm going to give these guys. Now, a lot of these guys like to make appeals to authority. Well, I've got this. I've got that. Okay, well, I've I've worked on plenty of college campuses. And as I never get tired of saying, having a college diploma is, is not a certificate of intelligence. I've, I've met plenty of college uh, edu- uh, people with college degrees in my time who don't have the sense that God gave a dead cat. So I'm unimpressed by a college diploma. What impresses me more are people who actually know what they're talking about. And that was another thing I was going to raise. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I don't know what I'm talking about. As, as a matter of fact, I've said this throughout both my platforms. I studiously tried to avoid talking about subjects I'm not solid in. I'm not saying an expert. I'm saying solid in. In other words, able to, to speak intelligently on the issue. And... Anybody who's a regular listener to either one of my platforms knows if I don't know something, I don't, I try not to speak on it. I may give, I may give my opinion, but I don't say, oh yeah, I'm right. You know, I'm, I'm infallibly right on the subject. And for, for anybody out there who wants to claim otherwise, I challenge you find the episode. Find the episode where I speak on something where um, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I don't say, well, I'm not 100% sure on this. This is what I think. And that's that's a fine point of Catholic dogma. A layman can give his opinion as long as he makes the listener understand that what he is saying is his understanding. So anyhow, to get into the, um, Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so after Mr. Bergoglio was quote unquote elected Pope of the Vatican II sect, um, he, like I said, he was very upfront with his heresies and his blasphemies. Although, thank the Lord, I missed the whole Pacama incident. I, I really, I probably would have had an aneurysm. But um, people were starting, you know, to pipe up. I mean, I had doubts myself. Actually, not doubts. Not doubts. Um, 
you know, as Catholics, we're supposed to understand, if you're serious about your religion, when our bishops, priests, and popes are being heretical. So I knew some of the stuff that he was doing was heretical. At the time, though, um, I didn't know, you know, I knew it was heretical. I just didn't know what to do. And Michael Voris, what, what, what became the stopping point for me and Church Millen is he did a vortex um, where he talked about how St. Catherine of Siena, for those of you who are unaware, St. Catherine of Siena helped move the capital of the Catholic Church back to Rome when there was a schism. It's called the Great Western Schism. And she was writing to the rightful Pope and telling him, you know, to man up and to take the church back to Rome. And he he made what he was basically claiming was there's a very high bar to being a saint in, in the real Catholic church, not the Vatican II um, counterfeit church. And he was talking about how she used to uh, drink the water that she used to bathe the um, leprous sores of people with leprosy. And basically what he was saying was, and unless we are a saint like St. Catherine of Siena, we had to shut up and basically put up with Bergoglio. And that's, that's, that was it. I was done. Because to me, that was defending the indefensible. I, I had principles. E- even, even be, you know, when I was a pagan, I had principles. And anyone who showed themselves to be on principles, I wanted nothing to do with them. So I didn't care about the fact that what his motivations were, what his mindset was. When he defended the indefensible, which was uh, Mr. Bergoglio's obvious heresies, um, that was it. I was done. And in and around, uh, I, I I don't know when he gave that particular episode, but in 2016, when uh, I was refused communion in a very rude fashion because I knelt to take it, I was done with the Vatican II sect. Anyhow, so in this episode. And like I said, the information will be in the show notes. Um, Norvis Ordo Watch is a set of a contest organization. And anyone who's a longtime listener knows about them. I, I mentioned them once and again. They document, they literally document the blasphemies, heresies, um, sacrilegious that occur in the Vatican II sect on a daily basis. Well, apparently... I guess since around 2018, you got to remember, I I quit Church Millen, you know, before 2016, and I haven't even so much as as given them a click. The um, 
the only information I get about them is whatever Norvis Ordo Watch talks about. But apparently, Mr. Voris, back in February of 2022, gave a, um, a show where he gives the four positions that you can take in regards to Mr. Bergoglio. Now, unless I'm incorrect, and anyone who listens to Nervous Order Watch can correct me, I just got done listening to the episode in question today. He, he mentions that Bergoglio is not a legitimate pope. They played the clip. I did not hear him denounce either Vatican II or Mr. Ratzinger, Mr. Um, Watia, Mr. Montini, or Mr. Uh, Roncalli. And if I'm not mistaken, and if I am, I will make a, uh, a correction and apologize. He, he said that this was a set of a contest position. Now, the set of Vacantis position is Vatican II is heretical. It was a heretical council. Everything that came out of it is heretical. So, stating that Mr. Bergoglio is a heretic and not a legitimate pope is just stating the obvious. But it's not completely correct. It's, you know, it's, it's not... It's not completely correct. But um, apparently in this episode, and I actually heard this clip, he claims that he'd been denouncing Mr. Bergoglio from the beginning. And I just wanted to give testimony to the fact that that is an out-and-out lie. I'm I I've I've listened to Mr. Voris in the beginning of Mr. Bergoglio's papacy, uh, quote unquote papacy. He, when I was listening, he was one of Mr. Bergoglio's biggest defenders. So that is an out and out lie. Now the guy from Norvisorto Watch, he he was a lot more charitable than I'm being right now because he said, well, my issue with him is not if he did not have a issue with Mr. Bergoglio early in his papacy. What my issue is, is that he's saying now in 2022 that he's always denounced Mr. Bergoglio as a heretic. And I'm fully in line with the gentleman at Norvisorto Watch. I'm fully in line with that. But I'm going to call a spade a spade. Mr. Voris is lying. He's absolutely lying. You know, it's not, it's, 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 it's not misremembering, you know, 10 years or almost 10 years. It's not misremembering the fact that for the first three or four years of his quote unquote pontificate, that he was one of his most ardent defenders. Now, me personally, I have a very bad memory, but I guarantee you that if I was defending something 10 years ago, tooth and nail, 
and it turned out I was wrong, I would remember. As a matter of fact, I would go out of my way to apologize to anyone that, you know, had heard me defending the indefensible. So I'm going to put the episode in my notes. Um, I invite you, if you're a neo-trad or a neo-Catholic, to listen to it. Because, as usual, Norvis Order Watch does their usual excellent job of picking apart the Vatican II uh, Council heresies. Uh, and um, not that I'm putting down what uh, the gentleman at Norvis Order Watch does, but at least under the Mr. Bergoglio quote-unquote papacy, taking apart the heresies and the blasphemies and the um, sacrileges that come out of the Vatican II Church, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's like taking candy from a baby. Okay, so I'm going to move on to my second topic. Okay, so for the second part of this episode, and... My I'm, I'm just going to give a disclaimer here, just, just for the sake of uh, being up front. If you're not thinking about becoming a set of a contest, um, go ahead and click off now because nothing I am going about ready to talk about is going to matter to you unless you, you want to become a set of a contest. Um, but this part is aimed at anybody interested in Sedvacantism and any Sedvacantist who may stumble upon this, uh, this particular, uh, well, both my podcast channels, really. Anyhow, there are two theological positions in Sedvacantism. Now, when I use the word sedvacantism, I'm using it in a general sense because um, sedvacantism is a catch-all term that basically means that the person who adheres to it thinks that the Vatican II Council is heretical and everything that came out of it is heretical. But um, in Sedvacantism, you have you have two positions. One is Sedaprivationism, and the other one is Sedvacantism. With Sedaprivationism, um, and that's actually the well, uh, sedaprivationism was uh, a, a theory propounded by a traditional uh, Catholic bishop in the 70s that, and you got to remember the timeline here, Vatican II was ratified in 65. So we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of about 
10 years, give or take. But he propounded this theory of set of privationism, which basically his theory was, was in order to re reestablish the true Catholic church that a bunch of traditionalist or traditionally um, ratified, um, I'm sorry, not ratified, traditionally um, consecrated bishops and cardinals had to get together and basically declare Vatican II a heretical council and to try to get it overturned. Now, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, um, but I, I got to be honest, I think some set of accountists make it more complicated than it is or that it needs to be. Take it for what it's worth. In, in Catholic theology, only a validly ordained bishop slash cardinal, because a cardinal is just basically a high-ranking bishop, can overturn um, an illegal um, an illegal council. Here's where it gets interesting. At the time when this uh, theologian wrote his thesis, you're talking 10 years after Vatican II, most of the traditionally minded um, bishops and cardinals were still alive at that time, although they were getting pretty old. And part of the changes that Mr. Montini made or to you Vatican II sect members, uh, Pope uh, Paul VI, was, if I'm not mistaken, he changed the Episcopal rite of ordination for a bishop in 1968. Actually, I think it was, he did two things at the same time. He changed, he changed the Episcopal, Episcopal ordination, organization of bishops in 1968 and of priests. And obviously he made changes according to the Vatican II uh, council uh, dogma and those, those uh, changes that he made were heretical. Now, this is very important to understand. Very important. So, in the 1970s, when this theologian wrote his thesis, it was very possible. It was very possible for the traditional-minded bishops and cardinals to have overturned Vatican II. Now, anybody who's, who's uh, 
um, considers themselves Catholic and has been alive, you know, for the past 50 years or so, understands that that never happened. None of the traditionalist cardinals and bishops got together and tried to overturn Vatican II. So, and I, I might have covered this in my original podcast, but around the time of the early 2000s, the majority of your bishops and cardinals had been consecrated under the Vatican II 1960, uh, I'm sorry, the Vatican II illegal rite of consecration for priests and bishops in, in the early 2000s. Meaning that once, once there were not enough traditionalist priests and bishops left to overturn, and trust me, um, the Masons in the Vatican did, uh, they did their very best to run out on a rail. Anybody who was even remotely um, traditional out of the Vatican II sect. So by the early 2000s, even, well, there, there's no even. There, there were not enough traditionalist priests and cardinals to form a conclave to overturn Vatican II. And the majority of the priests and bishops and cardinals were, were uh, consecrated under the illegal right of, of consecration in 1968. Meaning that if you're illegally consecrated, you're, you're um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, LARPer, uh, uh, actor, uh, counterfeit. <laughs> you're, you're, here's the thing. I've, I've heard some set of accountists describe it as, well, the layman, when the, when they, when they talk about whatever Vatican II bishop, they'll say arch layman. These guys aren't even laymen. Because under Sedvacantist theology, the lay people of the Vatican II sect are not Catholic. So it's a misnomer. It's literally a misnomer. These guys aren't even laymen. They're basically heretics posing as Catholic hierarchy. Why do you think I call the laymen of the Vatican II sect neo-Catholics? As I said before, when I put the prefix neo, it means they're fake. They're not real. Now, this is not a comment on the type of people they are. This is not a comment on the state of their soul. It's a statement of fact. They are not Catholic. Now, perhaps... When I say the term fake, to those people who think with their emotions and not their, uh, their uh, critical thinking, that sounds like a slam. 
It's not meant to be a slam. What I'm saying is the people, the 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 the, the uh, laymen of the Vatican II sect, they are not Catholic. And it's just easier to use the verbal shorthand of fake. Instead of explaining that, you know, that, that, that they're not actually Catholic. I guess I could actually say they're not Catholic. But pick your poison. I could call them fake, but if I say they're not Catholic, they're going to get just as offended. So I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. But at any regard, um, um, there's... For the sake of charity, I'm not going to mention the particular name of the particular set of Vacantis bishop in question. But to those set of Vacantists who follow uh, what's going on in the set of Vacantis organizations closely, they're already going to know who I'm talking about. Not that I think that anyone from that set is going to actually bother listening to this. That's fine. But there's a certain set of Contis bishop who gave a garbling, a garbled, mis- disjointed, um, confusing and rambling defense of the set of privationist position which he happens to hold. Now, at the time when he gave this video, I contacted my own set of Vacantis priests, and our organizations, uh, we're, we're both set of Vacantis, but my organization's not affiliated with his, which is another thing we need to fix, but whatever. Um, and I asked him, I said, I, I outlined, I, I gave him the name of the video, I told him which channel on YouTube to watch, and I I gave him a list of bullet pointed questions. Now, because I was a little uh, my my cage had been rattled, I, I'm afraid I was not as clear and concise as I could have been. But the gist of it was clear, and what he said was was no. Under the terms of set of privationism, um, the thesis no longer holds because in order for a council to get overturned, you have to have actual traditional bishops and cardinals to do it, which had been one of my points to begin with. And part of this bishop's argument was was that we need to wait for the heretics that comprise the Vatican II hierarchy to get together and decide that they want to overturn Vatican II the council well here were a couple of the points I pointed out Number one, the obvious, just just natural thinking. These guys owe their positions and their prestige 
to that illegal council expecting, I mean, I'm not saying that a miracle can't happen. It can. But from a natural perspective, expecting a bunch of Masonic imposters to, to have a come to Jesus moment, as the Protestants put it, and say, oh my goodness, you, we've been leading souls to hell. Um, we need to overturn the very institution that gave us our positions and our power. And the second one was that as heretics, even, okay, let's, let's just say, let's, let's just say that the Blessed Mother and Lord Jesus touched their hearts and they say, oh yeah, we were wrong all along. Let's call a conclave and let's, let's overturn Vatican II. They don't have the power because they're not even Catholics. Even me, even me, um, I am, you know, I am a literal Catholic as a lay person. I can't get together with a bunch of like-minded, true Catholic laymen and say, okay, let's hold the conclave and overturn the Vatican II um, council. We don't have the position to do it. And my third point, and I didn't get into this with my priest. Um, and once again, this and any of my longtime listeners who might have listened out of morbid curiosity will tell you that my theory is, is that once again, divine providence, God allowed Vatican II to happen. God allowed this to happen. So he gave us the lifeboat of Sedvacantism, but he also gave us the, the, the traditional dogmas in the canon law, uh, the canon law of 1917, on how the church is supposed to operate. So if he wanted to reconstitute the traditional Catholic Church pre-Vatican II as it was pre-Vatican II, he would give us the legal means to do it. I'm not claiming to be a canon lawyer. I'm not claiming to be a learned theologian. To me, this point that I'm making is something that any relatively well-informed layman should already know. And by the way, in case, just in case, any of the, uh, the Bishop in Question's followers do somehow listen to this episode, this is not a comment on his... Um, on his ability as a bishop. It's not a comment on his um, his authority. It's not a comment on anything. What this, uh, this part of the episode is geared toward is why I disagree with set of privationism as a theory within the set of a contest 
movement. Now, I know critical thinking skills are lacking in this day and age, even amongst people who consider themselves true Catholics. So I would like you, I beg and beseech you, to tattoo this on your brain. I am not making myself Pope Pius XIII and pronouncing magisterially. I am giving a reasoned argument why I disagree with a set of pervasionist um, theology within set of Kantism. So that's my disclaimer. If you guys want to make, try to make hay out of it, you're more than welcome to try. I never get tired of saying, I can defend my positions. I can, I can defend my positions, which is why when I said at the beginning of the episode, I don't talk about stuff or I give a disclaimer. If I do talk about something and I'm not 100% sure on it, I say, well, I'm not 100% sure, but this is what I think. And, and, and to any of you 300 IQ taker set of contests out there who want to somehow make an issue that I don't have a right to say what I think, um, I give you this challenge, and I mean it sincerely. You find me in the Baltimore, any of the catechisms printed before the Vatican II Council of 1960, where it says a layman cannot say what he thinks publicly. You show it to me. And if you can give me convincing evidence that what, I've, what I'm doing right here is wrong, I will retract and I will apologize. But I'm 90% certain you're not going to be able to... Oh, not, not uh, hard evidence. Because a lot of things that modernist thinkers like to do is they'll cherry pick quotes. They like to cherry pick quotes. The Demon Brothers are famous for this. The Vatican II apologists are famous for this. The Neo-Catholic uh, apologists are uh, famous for this. And, and the neo-traditionalist apologists, they'll cherry pick what certain doctors of the church say. But they won't list things that are infallibly matter of Catholic dogma. Or for that matter, what is in the code of canon law of 1917. But... To me, set of pervasionist uh, theological theory um, is untenable at this point for the two reasons I gave. You need, you need real bishops to do it, and we have none. All we have are a bunch of counterfeits. So even, you know, like I said, the counterfeits... Yeah, they, they dress up in the fancy clothes and whatnot. I, I can dress myself up as a cardinal in, in the Catholic Church. That doesn't make me a cardinal. 
I have to be ordained by a legitimately ordained bishop. <laughs> so that's that's my issue with set deprivationist theological theory. Now, the reason I'm doing this episode is um, when the gentleman from Norvis Ordo Watch was doing his um his podcast on the Church Milton thing, he mentioned said privationism. And the first thing that came to my mind is I haven't really covered my issues with said privationism. And, you know, for the record, I felt like it needed to be covered. Now, this bishop, to my knowledge, once again, you 300 IQ said vacantist, uh, uh, 300 IQ takers that said Vacantis, listen very carefully to what I'm saying to my knowledge. My understanding is the particular bishop in question has not has not renounced the set of privationist theory. Now, in practical terms, and I'm going to wrap it up with, with, with this final little bit here. In practical terms, my priest, my priest said something that I'm 100% in agreement with. For right now, as long as we agree that Vatican II is heretical, then... It doesn't matter if you hold the set of privationist theory. Because basically the set of privationist theory is just the mechanism to reconstituting the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church. Now, maybe later down the line, um, if it is the Lord's will, that'll become an issue. Me personally... Once again, you 300 IQ takers, this is, this is my theory. I honestly don't think that the pre-Vatican II church, Catholic church, is going to be reconstituted before the Great Tribulation. I just don't think it's... If I'm wrong, I'll, believe me, I'll be the first one um, to be... Uh, to, to giving uh, thanksgiving, praise, glory, exaltation if this happens. But for right now, it from, from appearances standpoint, it does not look like this is going to happen before the Great Tribulation. Oh, and by the way, if I am wrong, and I'm still doing this podcast, I'll be the first one out there saying... <laughs> Man, was I wrong. Man, 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 uh, I, I was being um, prideful and uh, um, uh, and prideful. But as I said, I, I don't think that this is going to happen. But in closing, I will say this. I will refer you, 
And I'm I'm not sure which episode of St. Longinus's Baptism it's on. It's on one of the last 10 or 15 episodes to peruse my exhortation that any set of accountants within listening distance get this to your bishops. I don't care if you're part of St. Gertrude the Great, um, whatever organization that runs um, the seminary in Brooksville, Florida, the CMRI, or the, the various European Sedvacantis organizations. You guys need to get together. Quit the backbiting. Quit the fighting. And by the way, this isn't just, this is not just for, uh, actually, I don't think that the bishops and the priests are doing much fighting. But you, you 300 IQ Sedvacantis out there that want to get in stupid theological debates that literally don't matter at this point, stop it. You're being a moron. We need to be uniting and we need to be preparing for what's coming. I humbly beg and beseech any set of accountants who comes across this, please get this to your bishops. You guys need to have a conference. You absolutely need to have a conference with every set of accountants representative that you can get a hold of and plan how to make an underground church for what is coming. Now, I, I want to make this clear. Just because we make plans does not mean that we necessarily have to put it into practice right away. But it, the, the outline should at least be hammered out in case the time comes when the Masons who are running the World Economic Forum decide to clamp down on the world. That way you have a backup plan and we can have our, our uh, an underground church similar to the one that was in Rome during the pagan Roman persecutions. I humbly beg and beseech any set of accountants, please get this to your bishops. Now, if, if they want to, you know, call me a crank or a loon, but think it's a good idea, look, you know, you you can say that I'm I'm crazier than an outhouse rat. I don't care. Anybody, it, it's it's just not. I mean, the spiritual eyes are what's more most important. But even those with natural eyes know something wicked this way comes. We need to be preparing for this. So that's it. <laughs> um, if you gave me 60 minutes of your time, and it is literally coming upon 60 minutes, thank you and God bless you. Even if you think I'm, I'm a maniac, I don't care. If you gave me 60 minutes of your time, thank you and God bless you. I hope and pray that you get something out of this. And in closing, I want to leave this final thought. Lately in my studies, I've been um, coming across the, some of it's been in my missile readings, other of it has been saints writings about planting seeds. So 
I don't get discouraged. I mean, in my in my more carnal moments, I get discouraged. But overall, I don't get discouraged when I don't get a lot, you know, a lot of traffic because until I know otherwise from Lord Jesus and his blessed mother, as far as I know, I'm doing the Lord's work. And because the Lord is my maker, not vice versa, I don't care how long it takes. As long as it gets done. Ah, well, actually it's up to him. (laughs) Once again, carnality. It's up to him. But um, as far as I know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing his will. And as I said on an earlier either episode on this platform or on St. Longinus's baptism, if, 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 if my approach is too abrasive, I don't care if you go to another set of a contest platform for your information. As long as you, you check it out. I don't, I literally don't care. This, I'm not in this for me. I'm not in this for me. I'm in this because I care about people's souls. As imperfectly as an imperfect person, and believe me, I'm very imperfect, can. But um, I, I was telling this to a friend of mine. I, 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 I said, you know, I don't care if... Um, you know, that let, let's, let's just say the Lord moves me tomorrow morning. He says, okay, you're done. That, that was your last episode. I don't care if it takes five or 10 years for, if, if this is indeed what the Holy Ghost wants, I don't care if it takes five or 10 years and you know, nobody ever knows who I am. I don't care. As long as the information gets out there. And one final note. Should. Should. Any set of Priest or hierarchy. Find out who I am. I will go. I, I will stand before any tribunal. I will. And because I'm obedient to the one true to the one true uh, Catholic Church on earth, if they tell me you're you're jumped up, you're full of yourself, knock it off, I will stand by that ruling. I will stand by that ruling. Many saints in Catholic history have done that. The, 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 the hierarchy, for whatever reason, told them stop, and they did. I'll do the same thing. I am so fully convinced that this has the Blessed Mother's and the Lord Jesus' approval, and by extension, you know, the Heavenly Father and the Holy Ghost, that I, I don't think that that's going to happen. But if it does, I will live with that. But if that is the case, I humbly beg and beseech whoever's going to make that decision, give me a fair listen. 
Give me a fair trial. I will submit my materials for approval. And if necessary, I will, um, if it's necessary, I will tell what my, you know, I, I can show everything that I do in my spiritual life. But I'm not afraid. I am absolutely not afraid of, um, of uh, cross-examination. I'm not. So anyway, thank you for giving me over 60 minutes of your time. Um, thank you for indulging me. Um, and I hope and pray you get something out of this. Because the reason I take my podcast, uh, I'm sorry, it's not my podcast. I'm trying to do the will of God. But the reason I take this podcast seriously is because people's souls are at stake. And I think we've forgotten that point. I'm not saying everybody. I'm just saying I think a lot of people have forgotten that point. So anyway, um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. Um, thank you for listening. Have a good day. God bless you. Bye-bye. Oh.